what you can now hear <laughs> comes from the very heart of God and mine. If I were asked what would be the last sermon I would ever want to preach to the church, this would be it. When Paul wrote this statement, he was talking to members of the Church of Christ at Corinth. He was not talking to people in the world. He was talking to us. He said, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. For yourselves know whether Jesus Christ be in you, except you be reprobate. I want you to pay attention individually this morning because this is for you and me. And when I saw this verse, I knew there was something that I had to do. Brothers and sisters, the Church of Christ today is losing 45 congregations a year. They're closing their doors. Why? They are not growing. Some congregations are swelling. Those who leave those that close their doors sometimes go to other places. But very few people are being baptized out of the community anymore. About 1969, the Churches of Christ, for some reason, quit talking about personal work. They quit talking about cottage meetings. And we started to hear that we cannot tell people that they need to be members of the church because that's driving them away. And we bought into that message and we stopped growing. In today's church, about 10% of our members do personal work. The other 90% do not. Evidently, we've come to believe that that's an option for us, that that's something that the preacher should do or that the elders should do, but I don't have to do it. I want you to examine yourself this morning, and I want you to think about making the biggest move you've ever made in your life, your spiritual life. I'm going to ask you to move. I'm going to ask you to move out of the church member status and start becoming a New Testament disciple of Christ. That's the biggest move you'll ever make. There's a huge difference between a church-going person and a New Testament Christian. Examine yourself this morning. Will you do that? I'm going to examine me. Is your heart in evangelism? When I was a boy, a long time before dirt was ever invented, I had a task on the farm where I worked to get the cows in the morning for milk and the cows in the afternoon. It was not a big job at all. Those cows were headed for the barn in the morning. They were headed for the barn in the afternoon. Their food was there. Where their treasure was, they had their heads pointed. Where's your head pointed this morning? Where's your treasure? Is it your desire behind, before anything else to win somebody else to Christ? To learn how to teach the gospel to him? I really can't share it. I know that's the title of the message this morning. But it's not my gospel, so I can't share it. 
but I can teach it to somebody else who can obey it. And that's my task as a New Testament Christian. I'm going to talk to us this morning about three groups in the church. You're going to have to figure out where you are. In the church today, there are, there's a group of people that I call outer fringe. And as we examine ourselves, you'll see why. There's a group called mainstream, about 90% of us. And then there's this New Testament Christian, this hardcore person who is what God wants him to be. Look at Ephesians 6.10, brothers and sisters. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Unless you and I change, the church of Christ will not be around in 2050 for your children and grandchildren. Because the only way we can grow is to teach the gospel to other people. There isn't any other way to do that. We need some folks who are strong in the Lord. In any congregation of God's people, those of us who studied congregational growth know, it takes 12 programs just to get started. I listed some of them here for you. But the point here is it's all about souls. When we worship, it's about souls. When we do benevolent work, it's about souls. When we study the Bible, it's about souls. We've preached to ourselves so long now, we think that's it. Our lectureships, and I directed one for 12 years, but they're designed to preach to us. We need to figure out a way to do this right, the way God wants us to do it. We need to become what He wants. When I thought about that verse, examine yourself, Keith, I thought about some ways I could do that. And here's what I found, and you may want to add to it or take away from it. I don't know. But I thought about my character. I thought about my Bible knowledge. I thought about the things that I like to talk about just on, in the everyday walk of life. What, what comes to my mind when I'm talking to anyone about anything? What is my service like to the Lord? Am I a person who just attends or am I one who serves? And so I examined myself about that. I wanted to know what my attendance was like. I wanted to know what my giving was like. I wanted to know if I was a person who got in the way of the Lord's work because people had to take care of me all the time uh, because I wouldn't attend or what was it? I'm examining myself here. Am I a person who starts it or am I one who gets in the way of it? And finally I asked myself, Keith, are you a soul winner? I wanted to know whether I was in the faith or not. And so I asked myself those questions. I wanted to know that because my biggest desire in life is to go to heaven. How about yours? And so since I want to go to heaven, I'm going to have to examine myself whether I'm really in the faith or not. Or am I just a, excuse the expression, church member? I thought of a story there, and I'm not going to tell it because it's, it's just so ugly about some brethren years ago. But there are people among us who think that they're just in this to get to heaven. That's it. That's what they think Christianity is. Again, let's think about those three groups. Why? That's 1 John 3, 12 through 14. In the church, there are young men, older ones, and so on. John recognized three groups. He recognized those who just started out. He called them children. He recognized those who were young men. These are the guys that uh, pound the Bible, you know, but they don't have a lot of wisdom. 
And then there are the old ones who know God, it says. And so we have three groups, and that's where we're going right now. Let's talk about the outer fringe. What I'm calling the outer fringe, the Bible does not call them that. What we have here with this person is a situational, ethical personality. His character is not committed all the time. He's one way at church, he's one way at another way at home or at work. This person has to learn about social drinking, dancing. He's not committed to holiness enough to know those are evils. And so he has a kind of uncommitted character. He is a person who may attend maybe 10 or 20 times a year, I don't know. But sometimes these folks call me a pastor. I'm not a pastor. I'm an evangelist. And pastor is an elder, folks. You have several here who are pastors. Uh, Mike, are you an elder here? No, you're not a pastor then. But they'll call me that. Sometimes they call me reverend. Those are denominational titles. But because this fo these folks don't know the Bible very well, they don't know what my role is. And I'm afraid some of us have forgotten that the evangelist is supposed to evangelize. I've had students in recent years tell me their whole job is to wor work on their computer in the office. I said, how are you going to, what are you going to do, baptize that computer? The, the character's not committed the way it should be, and the Bible knowledge is very limited. The conversation is worldly. Uh, they don't like to talk about the church much because it embarrasses them. And so their conversation is about their jobs or their children. I actually had a lady spend over an hour convincing me one afternoon that she could not talk to people about the Lord. She spent an hour trying to convince me of that. I told her when she got done, I said, ma'am, I thought you'd talk very well there for that hour. These folks never serve. We never see them working for the church at all. And again, the attendance is sporadic. I want you to look at that board over there at something. It says 174 in Bible study and it says 270 in worship. Bible study is the strength of this church, that's it. And until you are convinced that you need to be in Bible study, you haven't moved. You haven't examined yourself. You haven't seen where you ought to be, where you need to be, where you must be. The giving is sporadic. Giving has to be planned. Listen to me carefully. Well, I'll tell it to you the way Frank Boone used to tell us at South Haven, one of our elders. He preached to us on giving once a year, and he started his sermon out the same way every time. He said, more, more of us are going to lose our souls over this matter of giving than over any other matter. Brothers and sisters, giving has to be planned from the gross income you have, not from the net, not from what's left over, but what your boss said, he actually paid you. You have to give God the first fruits of that gross income. But that's not learned here, and so the giving is very nominal, more like a donation. One fellow told me if he liked the sermon he'd give, and so he was donating or actually tipping me if the sermon were good, I guess. Here's the problem. These folks are not soul winners, not even their own. Would you look at Matthew 16, 26 and memorize it? 
Listen to your master. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Let's talk about 90% of us. Again, situational, depending on who's around. Sitting next to a member of the church one time, he started telling me an off-color story. I said, you do know I'm a preacher. He started apologizing. I said, why weren't you embarrassed in front of God? You don't have to be embarrassed in front of me. Here's another problem. This is a statement from Guy on Woods back in 1979 in the Gospel Advocate. Brother Woods said that at that time, 70% of us could not give the plan of salvation if they had to give the book, the chapter, and the verse for it. There used to be a brother in Beacon, Tennessee named Hobart Hayes. Brother Hayes wrote me a handwritten description of the Word of God that I have hanging on my wall in my office. He had the most beautiful handwriting of any man I've ever known, yet he suffered from tremendous uh, problems with arthritis. His hands were all crippled up from rheumatoid arthritis, yet he could write like that so beautifully. And Brother Hayes, when you went to visit him, always talked about the Bible and nothing else. That's what he wanted. That's what was on his mind. It was great to be with him. Uh, he had one of the most beautiful tenor voices I've ever heard on a human being. Just a wonderful Christian gentleman. But what was on his mind? God's Word, the church, things to do for God, and so on. But even then, some who know the Bible that way serve once in a while, and then they don't. They're kind of in and out this mainstream. But here's how they measure their spirituality. They're there every time the doors are opened. Have you heard that expression? I'm there every time the doors are open. So what? Did you hear what I just said? Isn't that ugly? Because that's what God says. So what? You read Isaiah 58 and see if he doesn't. Those brethren, those Jews went down to the temple every day and he said, so what? When you came, your heart wasn't in it. So, so what? But that's how we measure it, don't we? What about all those souls you worked with and, and saw and talked to over through the week? Did they ever hear about the Lord? The first time I ever walked into an assembly of the church, here was my second cousin. I'm already 25 years old, and so was he. He never said a thing to me about the church in all those 25 years. He was embarrassed. He was very embarrassed. Again, the giving's too casual here. It needs to be planned, as I've already said. But these are in and out, in and out, in and out. And they have never sat at a kitchen table and taught somebody the gospel in their whole lives. Faithful. 
Years ago, it was my privilege to introduce Brother Warren at our lectureship. We were sitting there one day, I was getting ready to get up, and Brother Cates got up and mentioned someone who needed our prayers, who had left the church. And Brother Warren leaned over to me and he said, Keith, you don't need to be successful, you need to be faithful. That's great advice. I love that statement from him. I need to be faithful. Sometimes I hurt so badly, I don't want to go and do what I have to do. But then I remember that that hurt will stop one day, and I don't want to have to apologize to the one who told me to go and do it. I don't want my Lord ever to say something to me that I heard my dad say to me when I was a boy. I had a sister, younger sister, from whom I learned that all women are mean. That girl could get me so upset. One day I, we were out playing and she did something and I got angry and I picked up a rock and I threw it at her and it missed and went through the kitchen window. My mother came out and said, get the razor strop. You know what a razor strop is? Not a strap, it's a strop. They strop a razor with, they sharpened it, the old straight razors. It had two pieces of leather. One roughed it and then the next one smoothed it. Boy, she, wa she wailed into me with that razor strop. And then she said those magical words, you've probably heard them yourselves, wait until, what's the rest of that? Your father gets home. Several of you said it. That afternoon I thought, I'm gonna put a lot of towels back there. I heard already. He never spanked me. And what he said to me that day, I do not want to hear the Lord say. I hope you don't either. He looked down at me and he said, Keith, you disappointed me today. This person studies his Bible, reads it, teaches it. He talks about spiritual matters. He loves to do so. Mark, Mike, he's in his element. That's where he is. His service is constant. You can count on him to be there, period. They don't attend just 200 times a year. When you have a gospel meeting, they come. Do you know what it's hard to do today? Get people in the church to come to a gospel meeting. What happened to us? TV, other things to do. How many of you know that heaven's church all day long? Have you ever figured that out? There are no fast food joints there. No TV, no football, no baseball, no basketball. It's not there. Maybe I ought to get ready here. Their giving is planned, purposeful, and liberal. These are the ones who start the works for us. They make up about 10% of every congregation. These are our soul winners. And I wrote here somewhere, we don't survive without them. These are the salt of the earth who are glorifying your, their Father in heaven. Would you open your New Testament, please? I hope every one of you will do this. I want you to open with me to the 25th chapter of Matthew. And I want us to become familiar with three scenes here. In this chapter, 
the Lord mentions three groups of Christians. In the first section, He talks about those who are not prepared for His coming. He calls them unwise virgins who have no oil in their lamps. And so when the bridegroom comes, they don't have a way to get to the door. And when they finally try to get something at the last moment, the door is shut. They're not prepared. They even tried to borrow some oil from their sister wise virgins, and you can't share righteousness, folks. Any more than you can share the gospel, you can't share righteousness. You got to do it on your own. That's why I started this out with we have to do this individually. I can't look to somebody else to do my personal work for me. I can't pay the preacher and expect him to do it. I hear people say that all the time. Well, we pay the preacher to do it. No, I can't do that. I have to do it on my own. I have to get my own oil and my own lamp and get ready for him to come. Now look at verse 15, 14 and 15. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man traveling unto a far country, called unto them his servants, parted unto them his goods. Sir, how did you decide how to give your goods to those men? Each man according to his several ability. Oh, this is a picture of the Lord giving me something to do. And he never gives me anything to do I can't do. That's the point of this whole parable. It's not about giving us our talents. I know preachers have preached it that way, but evidently they can't read. A talent is a piece of silver. The talent belonged to the man who gave it to these fellows. That's money. I gave one five dollars. I gave another two. I gave another one. You remember what that fellow did who got the one dollar? He was so afraid of the Lord, he said, I buried it in the backyard. You know, Keith, I talk to people about the, Lord, about the Lord, but I'm so afraid, I'm so embarrassed, I'm so something. Well, what did the Lord call that fellow who took what the Lord gave him and buried it? What did he call him? He said, you're a wicked and lazy servant. Take it from him and give it to the other two. And then finally, look at verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory and before Him shall be gathered all nations. He's not talking about those in the world and the church, folks. Uh-uh. Go teach all nations. That's what Tim read to us a while ago. These are all those nations who were baptized. And I know he's not talking about the world because he has to separate this group. And he has to take some of those members of the church he calls sheep, put them over here. He has to take some of those members of the church he calls goats, and he puts them over here. How did he decide how to divide that, those two groups? What was the character? What was the thinking? What was the service like? You can read this passage all day long and it will never mention that he called the group before them and said, how often did you attend? Won't be there. He didn't call this group together and say, how often did you study the Bible? Won't be there. He didn't call them together and say, how often did you pray? Not in the scene. Why? Because that's just the beginning of Christianity. That's something I do normally. That's not a hard thing for me. That's just base one but until I get past base one 
I've got a problem. What he judged here was the service these people gave. Listen to what he said to them. He said to those on his right, Come ye blessed. And they wondered, I suppose, how they got blessed. He said, I was hungry. You gave me food. You served me. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. You served me. I was a stranger. You took me in. Naked, you gave me clothes. Sick, you visited me. I was in prison. You came to me. You were personal workers. You did exactly what I told you to do. You didn't just get in it to get to heaven. And they said to him, they didn't find that unusual. In fact, they were so amazed that he said that, that he, they, he, they said to him, when did we ever see you a stranger? That wasn't unusual for them to be personal workers. That's just who they were. They had gotten to the point in their Christianity that they were hardcore Christians. To the ones on the left, he said, go away. I'm going to send you for, to a place where I originally, that I originally prepared for the devil and his angels. Well, I don't want to go there. How did he decide that? He said, when I was a stranger, you did, uh, hungry, you didn't give me anything. I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything. Stranger, you didn't help me. Naked, you didn't clothe me. You know how they answered? It's very unusual here, but their answer is in the same words that the righteous answered. They said, when did we ever see you hungry? What happened here? Church members, but not New Testament Christians. They never saw a hungry person. They never saw a lost person. It didn't dawn on them what their work was. And they lost their souls. Where am I this morning? Examine yourself. Sometimes when the Lord wanted to make a point, He would put a little child in the midst of His disciples. On one occasion when He heard them arguing over who would be the greatest, He took a little child and put Him in the midst, put him in the midst of them and said, Except you become as little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to put a little child in our midst this morning because to me she is the metaphor for what I'm talking about. She was, in her youth, a hardcore Christian. Well, she was a hardcore lover of God at three years old when I first met her. She was brought to the Lake Forest Church of Christ by a member there. And little Kirsty said to me this, that morning, she said, Peter, go visit my mama. She's in the hospital. Did not ask me, just told me to go. I went. Dorothy and I did, and her mom had just given birth to Kirsty's baby sister. About two days or three days later, we went by the house. Kirsty ran out of the house and said, the Peter's here, the Peter's here. And she grabbed me by the arm, walked me into the kitchen and said to her mother, He's here to talk to you about God. She ran out. Past, you see. She was a past. I said to Yvonne, I said, uh, 
Well, that's a good idea. Can we talk to you about God? And she said, well, we don't have a church. So we started a Bible study with Yvonne, which I thought would excite Kirsty, and, and it did a little bit. Uh, when I started studying with Yvonne, she had her can of beer and her cigarello there, and all of a sudden they started disappearing, and she obeyed the gospel. And I told Kirsty, Mom's going to obey the gospel. You know what she said to me? You didn't talk to Yvette. That's her 11-year-old sister. So I started talking to Yvette, and while I'm talking to Yvette, Kirsty said to me, she's about four now, she says, uh, when are you going to talk to me, Ma? That was her great-grandmother. <laughs> These are great-grandchildren, in case you want to know. That was her great-grandmother. That study lasted three years. Meanwhile, while I'm studying with Meemaw, Yvette's baptized, and Kirsty said, what about Nana? She had two uncles, two aunts. Uh, this girl's a pest. She was, I would sit in the front row getting ready to preach, and she'd walk up and she'd say, I love you. You can really preach after that, I'll tell you. I left Lake Forest and went on to Gregg Avenue. And she called me one day. She was nearly 11. She said, Brother Keith, I said, Kirsty. She said, Sister Kirsty. She'd been baptized herself. Her daddy, in fact, called her a pest because she was always talking to people about, Kirsty loves softball. When all the other little girls wore shorts, she wore long britches. And somebody asked her one time why she did that. She said, I'm a Christian. She knew the difference. She absolutely knew it. She loved softball. One Sunday at Lake Forest, the song leader got up and read a note to the congregation. It's the ugliest thing I've ever read. I don't even want to repeat it. But he was quitting the church, he said. That broke Kirsty's heart, and so she begged her mother to take her to Brother McNutt's bookstore up at Union and Jackson Avenue. Brother McNutt had a bookstore up there for years. You remember Brother McNutt, Brother Ray? Yeah, I do too. And she got a track there of some kind, and she'd written a note to that song leader. Put it in an envelope, put his name on it. Wanted to give it to him. That was on a Monday on, after that Sunday service. On Thursday evening, they were coming home from softball practice over there on Goodman, when it was still Tulane. You think it's bad now, you should have driven over it then, full of potholes. And there was a, like a Dairy Queen, I don't know if that's what they called it there, but they stopped to get some ice cream after practice. Kirstie's softball rolled out of the car and across Goodman. She didn't think and went to get it. The car that killed Kirstie Hudson dragged her 135 feet down that road. Listen now. Friday night at the funeral home. Her mama handed that note to that song leader. That is a hardcore New Testament Christian. She being dead, yet was interested in souls. She still speaks. She's speaking to you today. Now you ask yourself, be honest now, where are you really? Church member? or New Testament Christian. We're going to have an invitation now. Now's the time for you to tell the elders here, I'm moving. I'm tired of going halfway with this business of being a Christian. I'm moving this morning. I'm going to be a hardcore Christian from this moment on. 
I'm going to learn how to do it if I don't already know how to do it, and I'm going to give it every effort I have to do exactly what he told me to do. And that's teach the gospel to everybody I have opportunity to teach it. Will you make that vow while we stand and while we sing?